Hi, everybody. You're listening to the New Dayton Podcast. I'm your host, Chip James, and I'm setting out to shine a light on some of the amazing things happening in and around our great city. On the podcast, you'll hear from exciting people who see Dayton as a city of opportunity and are taking an active role in creating a new Dayton where small businesses and individuals can thrive. Thanks so much for joining me. Let's get to today's episode. Part of the fun of creating a podcast called New Dayton was we knew there'd be this opportunity to talk to business owners, uh, some of which have just recently opened uh, a business. And in this case, with St. Anne the Tart, uh, we had a chance to talk to Megan Smith, the owner and founder creator of this unique little bakery in St. Anne's historic district just east of the Oregon District downtown. Anybody who's been to St. Anne the Tart knows that they have really unique, creative, beautiful pastries, but they also make a really good cup of coffee, and I'm told some really nice chai tea lattes. So let's have a chat with Megan Smith about how St. Anne the Tart came to be and uh, what New Dayton looks like for this exciting business owner. Okay, well, I am Megan Smith, and I've lived here five years, and I came from Lexington, Kentucky, but originally from Columbus, and did not move here with an intention of starting a business, but just moved here with my family, and and was already owning uh, a business that was more in a national spotlight, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at now. Family, how many kids? Three boys, 16, 13, and nine. What are they like? They're amazing. Um, Kanan is the oldest. He's my foodie. He actually worked here as a barista and baker this summer. Cool. He did like Chop Junior. This kid like literally came out of the womb wanting to be in he, the kitchen. He was on Chop Junior? Yeah. Oh, my, <laughs> my kids would want his autograph. They love Chop Junior. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he's just, he's very uh, old soul, loves jazz. We just traveled to Japan for his 16th birthday and okay. did the foodie thing there. Middle son is just like, the little Casanova loves girls, loves sports, How loves fashion. Thirteen. Okay. So, uh, but super great. He's he's um, my little skateboarder and always makes sure the clone's on every day. Okay. He's, he's <laughs> yeah. Casanova. Yeah. We'll keep him away from my thirteen-year-old girl. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> and then Otto's my nine-year-old, and he's he's just uh, he's probably like the comic relief of the family. So we have a ton of fun and he's he's always the one just like my little buddy so we actually this summer like kind of a side note we all went down to Appalachia and did Appalachian music school together so Kanan did uh, banjo Ezra did guitar and I did dulcimer wow and then Otto did more like square dancing so every night now Otto wants me to go on the front porch and play dulcimer for him so it's very very cute yeah what's dulcimer (laughs) it's like this little lap instrument um that's like Appalachian like folk music kind of a banjo like it's like uh, a harp? it's maybe like two feet long and you just strum it. It has like three three chords, yeah. three strings. Mm-hmm. Very basic, like very primitive sort of instrument. So awesome. I can I should have brought it, I could have played you a tune. Played that you would, a little ditty. Well wait. No. <laughs> yeah, maybe next you're time. You're right back. All right. So you're a baker by trade? Um, no. I'm not trained per you know, You I trained just, yourself. Just trained myself. Yeah. yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. So you're baking cakes at a young age. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I think traveling overseas, I did not grow up in a home with, uh, my mom does not know how to cook or bake at all. I was raised by a single mom with like SpaghettiOs and, Mm. but you know, Oreos. The fancy Um, stuff. Yeah, I mean, I still love it, but. (laughs) (laughs) So I, um, it was when I went to New Guinea, I went to Papua New Guinea when I was 15 and spent six weeks there. And it was the first time I realized you make things from scratch. Like you Mm. wanna eat, you have to actually make it. So that just, I kind of loved that. Mm-hmm. Previous to that, I think I always just had it in me. I remember getting the Sunday, um, the Sunday paper, and I would sit down, and you could clip out. You know, do you remember back in the day, people could send the recipes into the newspaper, so like yeah. Grandma Joe could like uh-huh. submit her, you know, banana pudding. Grandma Joe probably did that. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> right. That's right. So I would clip those out, and I kept this little pink. I still have it. This like pink index card holder, and I would like cut out the little thing, the recipe, and I would tape it on the index card and file it. Yeah. I never made any of these foods. I mean, we didn't have a full kitchen huh. with my mom, but I just love the idea of like people make food and like someday I'm gonna use these recipes. That's cool. And so as I started traveling overseas, then I was cooking more and I just like really, you know, started the Art of Homemaking blog. It was really on the cusp of like when blogs started. So mm-hmm. I was very fortunate to get like a lot of readership and sponsorship early on. Cool. And that just kind of put me in a mode of like, I did everything homemade for many years for the boys and I. Like I made all of our clothes, wow. um, cut of raised hair, I made our own bacon, made all of our bread, made all of our cheeses. Wow. So I like went through a season of, I miss those days. But when yeah. you make bacon, do you do you uh, kill the pig? I did not kill the pig. No, <laughs> <laughs> but you get the big like you know you get, you get the part of the pig and then you there's a certain kind of salt. Uh, it's a pink salt, but not the pink salt that we would eat. It's a different kind of curing salt that you use. Yeah. You're living in Dayton. You transplant here from Lexington. That's right. You had a successful business in Lexington called Bourbon and... It was called Cake and Whiskey. Cake and Whiskey. Yes. I was setting you up. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, I love that name. Thank you. Uh, super catchy. And uh, is that still something you're pursuing today? Yeah, so I've always been a serial entrepreneur. I didn't go to college. I just kind of had the bug for, you know, experimentation. So um, I owned a series of successful companies in Lexington. Cake and Whiskey really wasn't started to be a company. It was just my way to connect with women in business. So Mm. I kind of made this, I call it a hobnob. I don't like the word networking, but it was this hobnob group of women um, where we'd eat cake, drink whiskey, talk shop. Mm. And so we had that and the the magazine was actually birthed out of that. Mm. So I had been doing freelance writing more around like homemaking topics. I had a blog for many years. And so the, the magazine just kind of took off. People will say like cake and whiskey was my baby. I just say it's like a really good idea that took off. So okay. I started it literally on like $2,000 for my kitchen table. The kids were little babies and um, it ended up being in 11 countries and like every Barnes and Noble. The magazine. Mm-hmm, the magazine. Yeah, yeah. So a hobnob sort of networking group of women in Lexington turned into like a lifestyle magazine? Yeah, it was kind of like a high-end niche publication around women in business. So it was Cake and Whiskey, the sweet and spirited world of business. And we would feature oh. women around the world. Like honestly, very rarely would it even be an American woman. It was just kind of a range of um, you know once we kind of took these little rickety boats into the to the backwoods of the Philippines and found women that were making lace back there and did like this amazing story about them but we've also featured like Misty Copeland the ballerina she was like our the first cover she did was with us before she did like Time magazine so we like did some incredible stories like I'm super proud of it it's one of my proudest you know I guess moments in my business journey yeah, was was getting this going, but I think at some point for me, 
um, the pull of home was stronger. Mm -hmm. Like in publishing, you're in New York, you're mm -hmm. flying to conferences, you're speaking a lot. And I knew I just wanted to be at home with the boys. Uh, mm -hmm. So the, the hobnobs still happen around the country. We just kind of closed up shop on the magazine. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So you moved to Dayton and you have no intentions of starting a business. Yeah. But, oh, this is going to be actually really interesting so, because you have such a cool business that people love mm -hmm. um, with St. Anne the Tart. So, so let's just start on that. It, it became an idea at some point in your head and then what happened? So um, I was, I actually owned the buildings across the street first. Okay. Um, I have a business partner who was like, hey, you should, you know, we had this real estate here. He was like, you should put something in. Um, because I had owned a bakery in the past, and I was in a transitional part of life, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Honestly, I think being a creative for me in Dayton and not having any contacts when I moved here, it was incredibly hard to find a job. And I was coming off of Cake and Whiskey. Um, I wanted to continue working. I didn't really want to start something new again. Mm -hmm. I just really wanted to kind of settle into like a nine to five. Like a creative space, um, not creative. Yeah. yeah. A lot of jobs I interviewed for, people said I was overqualified, so they wouldn't hire me, you know. And I can see maybe it looks a little bit intimidating. Who's this girl just came in from out of town? She's running this international magazine. Now she wants to like work here, right. you know. Does she really want to take us over? Like what is right. she doing? Or is she just going to be here for like a short spurt and then want to go do something big again? So um, it was really a struggle for me to find a job in this town. And I, again, did not want to start something from scratch. But the opportunity to be here in St. Anne's Hill opened up. And my, for me, opening a bakery was almost something I could do in my sleep because I had done it previously. I did not want to reinvent the wheel. I wasn't at that stage of my life. I just wanted to do something that I already knew. Um, and for me, food is just kind of, it's not about the food. I guess it's about community and probably in that space and time in my life, especially. I had been coming off of a divorce. I had no family here, no infrastructure, no friends. I mean, this was like I had never stepped foot in Dayton before. So I just was yearning for community. So I figured instead of going out to try to find it, I would just sort of create it. Wow. So. And you're well-traveled. Yeah. So been. you had seen some shops. You'd seen coffee shops. You'd seen bakeries. You'd seen kind of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and did you use some of that for motivation to start saying in the tart to create it? Sure. I mean, I think so. I'm probably not even consciously. I think it's just a subconscious, like you pull from those memories that you've had in different places. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I've been so fortunate. I've been third world, you know, as well as, you know, we, one of our partners was Cartier with the magazine. So I've been like at the top of, you know, mm -hmm the best travel in the world being in France with Cartier and I've been in the jungles of New Guinea and I think that there's something that there's just a comprehensive sweep that you can do of your life and you just end up with something like this and you're like there's little touches yeah. that you just see are just part of your life. So, That's interesting because yeah. when people talk about Saint Anne the Tart, I mean I'm sure you you know this but it's always interesting to me what they will point out first. Are they going to say something about the unique baked goods mm -hmm. or are they going to say the space? Mm, yeah. So many people say, talk about the space just because it is so pretty. It's so unique. Mm -hmm. It's in this old building uh, in St. Anne's historic district, but it's so pretty and just so well done. So yeah, kudos to you. you. Thank you. Um, so St. Anne's in the surrounding historic districts like Huffman, mm -hmm. they're really on the rise. Sure. I'm sure you feel that. Yeah. Um, I think honestly, in the real estate world, we say that coffee shops promote growth mm -hmm. <laughs> in the real estate market. So I think you're playing a part in that, believe it or not. 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, we hear that being here. People literally work looking for real estate or looking to rent in this neighborhood, knowing that we're here. Mm -hmm. We've heard even real estate agents promote, you know, it's just down the street from Sands mm -hmm. Heart, which is good. I mean, I think it's very, it makes me happy because I want people to be here that feel connected to the space and, and in turn feeling connected to one another. So I wouldn't yeah. say that we're a neighborhood coffee shop per se because we pull in so much from surrounding areas. Mm -hmm. um, but I think people that have a draw to want to be close to it. Yeah, people that live in the neighborhood certainly consider you their neighborhood coffee shop most likely, but also you get the people in the suburbs who are driving here. Yeah. For a, yeah. Uh, what is it? Oat oh, milk chai <laughs> for one of your amazing yeah. creations. Um, so I, I want to rewind just a second because I, I sometimes am guilty of just sort of glossing over. And it's like, oh, I had this idea and now I wanted to start it. And then poof, there's St. Anne the Tart. Mm -hmm. And it's like so many people that have been listening or are, are, are contacting me or stopping me when they see me and like, how did they do it? Mm. Like, so how did she obtain this building and how did she... You know, usually the hurdles, you know, are created in our own minds. We tell ourselves we can't do it. Yeah. So can you tell me how do you, how did you push through stuff sure. and it got hard and end up with this like dream dream job, this dream business that you own? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think on a personal like more, uh, if we're talking about it, I mean, we can talk about just brick and mortar, how it happened, and I'd love to go through that with you. I think on an emotional side, what a lot of people struggle with, and I honestly had a hard time identifying with people who, you know, I've always been entrepreneurial. I've always been able, you know, my mantra used to be everything you want is on the other side of fear. And so I loved that pushing through the fear, pushing through the fear, wake up every day, face your challenges, just go for it. And when I went through the divorce, I'd been married for almost 20 years. Mm. I did not realize how like uh, crippling that would be in terms of not wanting to put, not wanting to experience any more failure. Like I cannot, go through any more failure. And so with this project in particular, I think it took so long. Yes, we had setbacks with construction and different things, but I think for me, it was a mental block that I finally just had to, it may fail. And that's just one more failure in my book and I'm still gonna be okay. Mm -hmm. Like, and I just have to push through it. And I still to this day, I mean, you hope people walk through the door and that they're impacted by by the space and the people yeah. that they're meeting. Um, but I would say the biggest challenge in this project in particular was just like moving past some major fears I ended up having, having in my life. Um, but on just the structural side, I mean, I, I was fortunate to meet, I'd met a business person in Columbus um, who was investing here in Dayton and we were able to kind of team up to get this building and get this building where it needed to be because it took a lot of money and mm -hmm. I don't think it's reasonable for every person that has an idea to think that they can make that they can manifest something like this it's like six figures of build out sure yeah it, it, I mean it's a minimum. huge build out I mean honestly way more than what I ever invested into the magazine hmm. um, so I think it's hard a lot of people have vision you know they see a cute old rickety building oh my gosh I can make this this or that Absolutely. It's just a lot of money and you have to have those resources at your disposal mm -hmm. um, because a bank's not going to just grant you the money on an idea. And thankfully, your first time with the idea. Right. Thankfully, I had years and years of um, previous experience to back up like mm -hmm. 
but not everybody has that. So for a lot of folks that start uh, a business or are running a business that was sort of their their idea in Dayton, many of them are Daytonians. Mm -hmm. And I think, don't want to speak for all of them, but their hope is that when someone walks in the door, it's like this, you know, I'm so glad Dayton has this, mm -hmm. right? It's like, I'm creating this like bread at press. <clears throat> he, saw an, he saw a gap in the market, mm -hmm. specialty coffee. Yeah. And he's like, I'm feeling that. I'm passionate about it. I love it. My town needs it. My town needs mm -hmm. it. So I'm going to create it. Mm -hmm. What's that like for you? Having not grown up here and sort of seen Dayton through the decades, you've seen it for, for years now, but what is your hope when people walk through the door, I guess? Yeah. I mean, I think it transcends Dayton in terms of, and maybe it is because I, um, you know, since I was 18, I haven't lived at home. I've lived everywhere mm -hmm. and people are people no matter where you're at. So for me, I don't look at it necessarily as a lens of what Dayton needs, what Dayton doesn't need. I just see it through the lens of what people need. Mm -hmm. I mean, people want to feel connected. They want to feel heard. They want to feel, you know, it's like the mm -hmm. cheers effect. It's just like, everybody knows my name. When I walk in, that's what I tell my employees. Like you, we, we literally keep a notebook of like, stories that the baristas learn of our customers cool. and they review it and like oh let's check in on charlie and see how mm -hmm. he's doing after surgery or whatever it is yeah. so i don't think of it through a lens of dayton i'm i think that you could take a sandy on the tart you could even take a press wherever you're putting it could be in any city but it's just like the impacts to the people yeah. right it just happens to be mm -hmm. daytonians people want to be connected yeah yeah like i said how, how do you how are you trying to connect people like how is like to me it seems so daunting just to run a a shop or a cafe right and just like hit some numbers or hit some goals sure. but to have this whole other uh goal of like connecting people yeah how is that is it not daunting for you well um i would say you know i'm very missional minded i'm not about the money so it's good that i put people around me that are, care more about the money because i think i'd give everything away for free i'm like take it all <laughs> um so i'm very mission minded that way where it is I, I knew coming into this situation or, you know, into this business that we were, give back was going to be a big part of who we were. I think what um, propelled that forward even quicker was, you know, the tornadoes happened. Memorial Day. Um, yeah. So that uh, combined with the shootings that we just had, but just this summer, I mean, we've only been open since March, hmm. but coming into it with a mindset of like, we know we're here for... Um, not just selling a, a great cup of coffee or a pastry. We're here for the community. Uh, we knew that that was part of our business plan, but then I think there were just things that happened beyond our control that mm -hmm. just kind of propelled that part of the business plan forward more than what we could have realized. Success to me isn't like off the charts profit. Right. It's, it's happiness. It's peace of mind. It's a place that you're proud of. Yeah. Right. So if you see yourself as successful here only six seven or so months mm -hmm. in um what do you attribute to helping you get to that point I sure guess, whether it's setbacks or otherwise yeah well our business model i think what helps this be a very low stress place um because i, I think one, one thing people notice is that our our employees are very friendly they're very relaxed they're very happy we part of the business plan has never been if nobody walks through the doors today we will be okay I don't base whether or not we're going to be successful or not on the amount of people that come in. And we do a lot of uh, corporate catering. Mm -hmm. We do um, weddings now. We do pop-ups. We do events. And so we're getting out into the community to do our part to make sure everybody gets their paycheck and, 
you know, mm-hmm. bills are being paid. It's interesting. It's um, like you're covering your overhead without today's sales. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when people come into the space, I mean, sometimes there aren't any customers in here and we kind of love it because it gives our team time to connect. It gives us time to do a deep clean or we can just like catch up. So um, I think if we were banking on a business plan where like, um, please God, like just hope that people walk through the door today. I would be a nervous wreck. Mm-hmm. We would not be successful. We just wouldn't because you're just so reliant on the weather. It's really or, good advice. Yeah. So I think that's worked for us. I don't know if that's a business model for everybody, but I knew going into it, I have kids to raise at home. I can't be stressed about whether or not we had two customers or 200. It's just mm-hmm. not how I want to live life. So it's great. Um, we have setbacks all the time. We're in, you know, before you guys walked in, we had, um, a sewage issue because the roots from the trees were getting in. I mean, like, oh, I just feel like the daily setbacks with a historic building are crazy. Awful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't <laughs> imagine that's a common problem with older homes. So. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, there's always, always, always going to be setbacks. Um, thankfully, even with the tragic things that have happened in the town, I've seen not just for us, but for everybody, it's propelled people forward. It hasn't felt like a setback even. Mm-hmm. You know, we were closed for a week after the tornadoes, wow. but it didn't feel, we never felt setback from that. We mm-hmm. just fell onto the next day. Yeah, those tough, tough second or third month for you guys. I mean, that's tough timing. Yeah, yeah, it's been like a wild ride for the first six months. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, somebody who's listening who is wishing that I was doing a better job of getting um, to the point, I guess. So if someone's listening and they want to l- launch their passion, yeah, whatever it is, what would you say to them? Um, so I kind of have a strong stance on this. I, I believe actually in business, you need to have a good balance of passion and purpose. Um, I, I don't believe you can... And I, I would love for people, this would be like just a great round table discussion to have some t- someday. I don't know if you can sustain a business on a, a, just an idea or a passion for an idea. There really has to be the purpose behind it um, because your passion wanes. And mm. if you don't know why you're getting up every day or you know, working a 14 hour day, if there's no purpose behind it, it's not gonna be successful. So that's usually when people come to me with ideas, like can you help me? You know, I do like just a lot of business consulting and, and people will say, I have this idea. I'm like so passionate about it. Um, and I even tell my kid this too, Kanan, he loves food and maybe he'll end up in food someday. He's very passionate about it. But I'm like, just use your passions to like feed friends and have great dinner parties. It doesn't mean you have to turn the passion into a profit necessarily because, and maybe he will. Um, but I just think if you don't have the greater purpose behind it, you may not have that longevity that you're looking for. So speak to your purpose. Yeah. What's the purpose? Sure. I mean, I think my purpose here, you know, when I look back over my life, I can trace back even to when I was, you know, junior high, high school. I remember uh, it was like Thanksgiving time and I was so excited to make this cake for like this gathering that we were having for our family. And it wasn't about the cake. I was just so excited that people were coming to my house mm-hmm. and that, you know, the whole family's gathering and we're going to like enjoy this dessert. And I think as I look over the course of my life, of, of it's been about hospitality. It's been about give back. It's been about the conversation that's being had. It's about meeting needs. And so, I mean, I think that's the grand purpose probably of everybody's life, but especially mm-hmm. mine is just like, how am I meeting the needs of the person across the table from me? Cool. That's yeah. great. And you train your employees on that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they know. And I mean, we, we try to go a step further. We'll sit down, we'll write little hand notes to some of our customers and just like, 
been thinking about you. Thanks so much for getting your like brownie every Tuesday. And I think that's important to train. We get a lot of like 18, 19 year old, 19 year old kids coming in here mm -hmm. to work. And I want to be giving them life skills that actually mm -hmm. matter. You know, it's not about, yeah, I want a clean place, but I also want you to be like making eye contact with our customers and making them feel good. Right. Yeah. You're, you're kind of mother henning. Yes, I'm a great mother hen. <laughs> so give back and community. I think one thing in the in the shop, what, what mm -hmm. do we call it? Do we call it a store? Whatever you want. <laughs> one thing at St. Anne the Tart that really talks or speaks community and give back to me is the board or whatever mm -hmm. we call it with the hanging thing. Yeah, the do-good wall. The do-good wall is the very first thing I noticed my very first time here yeah. back in April probably. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's cool. That's something I've never seen before. Mm. Um, so talk about that. Talk about the do good wall. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I love that we can just facilitate other, like, or not even facilitate, that we can just take this back seat and we're just like a conduit for people to like engage with one another. So this is like a perfect example. We do nothing, we literally do nothing. We provide a piece of paper and a Sharpie and it's all about the community doing it for one another. Um, and so it's just been magical. I mean. Almost every day you go down, it's 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 a revolving door, literally, of just somebody takes the latte, then they put up the tart, then they, you know, so it's always new, it's always changing, um, and again, like, we have nothing to do with it, which I love. Yeah. And the premise is there are uh, customers have handwritten mm -hmm. little notes on there, and I think one example would be, like, so a latte for a UD student who just needs to pick me up. That's right. Right? Like, yep. I would literally write that on there. And yeah. then I hang it on the do good wall. Yeah. Do good wall. So you'd go, yeah. So if you're buying that student latte, you just take it up to the barista. She would ring you in. You pay for that, that and you then know, stick it and on then the wall. stick it on the wall. And then that UD student, whoever it is, can come and, and after claim a, it. a long exam week and they didn't get to go home and see their family and they're feeling down in the dumps and there's a free latte on the do good wall. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. And it's interesting too, especially when the things, you know, especially around the summer have happened, people from afar will call him or email or contact us through social media to say, I want to purchase mm -hmm. for whoever. So we had a comment from as far as like the Netherlands this wow. year that wanted to purchase after the shootings. Um, and during the, the tornadoes, people, you know, from West Coast, East Coast, mm -hmm. like just wanting to, because so what we did, the only time that we kind of took over the, the do good wall was after the tornadoes, we had a, a weekend where people could purchase for relief workers. Uh. So all that, so we, um, and during that time, people from around the country were sending in their do-goods for the relief workers. Nice. And then yeah. did you just take them, take mm -hmm. them to the... Yeah, so we just delivered to the sites. And they were buying like, you know, whole pans of, of cinnamon rolls and wow. stuff. is really cool. Yeah. Cinnamon rolls just made me think, this is stupid off the wall, but like, what, what is it that makes the shop smell the best? It smelled really good today. <laughs> I must have come <laughs> Probably this, baking time. Yeah. Or we're starting all the fall recipe development. Okay. So it's a lot of like spices and cinnamon going on right now it was good and i loved the breeze the doors are open i was wishing the doors were closed though because the smell could just linger even more <laughs> it was thick people love the space i think they love the product i think they're really digging it i think some of them are probably wondering like what's the second act maybe or what's yeah. next is there something you can chat about we're not trying to break any news yeah. necessarily but you did mention you own buildings across the street yeah well we sold those off i mean i will say we get approached by uh, uh, with a lot of opportunities so I'm always like scoping out seeing what might be a right fit for us mm -hmm. um, 
And I don't know. I don't even know if now would be the time to do anything second. I feel like we're having a good run here, mm -hmm. um, knock on wood. And, mm -hmm. and I want to make sure I'm a very systems and processes person. So if we're not doing it right here on site, why would we expand? Mm -hmm. um, to me, I've never come into this project thinking it's about expansion. Right. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I think if the right opportunity came along at the right time, we would take it. But awesome. I'm also fine just hanging out here. Well, I know that the new Dayton community is definitely glad you're here. Thanks. And I think would uh, would smile and support anything else that you wanted to put out for us to consume. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So congratulations. Thank and, you. And uh, we look forward to uh, to seeing San Antar continue and, and uh, continue to grow in popularity and become a household name. Thank you. Thanks for interviewing me. Yeah, thanks yeah. for coming on. Thank you so much for checking out today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, share it with your friends. Uh, take a screenshot on your phone, post it on Instagram to your story or to your feed. Post a shot on Facebook. Please help us spread the word about New Dayton. You can also subscribe to the podcast. You can leave us a review. And I want to give a special thank you to Katie Matthews for producing and editing the podcast. And a thank you and a shout out to John Waldron, who created all of the music for the podcast. Also, last thing, if you have a guest recommendation, please connect with me on Instagram, chip underscore James, or email me at chipjames at gmail.com. Oh, and one last, last thing, check out the website, choosingdayton.com forward slash new Dayton. Thanks again. <laughs>